Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. I wonder if many of you have been in the spot where you've been trying to tell a kid about Jesus, trying to tell a kid who Jesus is. And it's always one of those really difficult things. Um, trying to explain to a kid, like, well, Jesus, Jesus is a man, and Jesus is God. And the kid's looking at you like, what? What? And you're like, well, Jesus was born, but Jesus always existed. And even more, it's like, Dad, you on the cuckoo train or what? Uh, it's a hard thing. It's, sometimes it feels like you need to have a, like a child psychologist PhD to figure out how to tell a kid this stuff. Now, the truth is a lot of kids, they actually take this stuff on faith a little bit easier than we do. Uh, but I remember my, my daughters, one of the things that I do with my daughters is I'll be like, hey, who do you love the most? Um, I want them to say me, but they don't. They usually, I, Sadie would always go, Jesus and God. And it was like the pastor dad in me was like, oh, do I tell her? Um, you know, do you mean Jesus and God the Father? You know, you know, Jesus is God. And this is, I don't care who you are, the concept of the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus is both man and God, if you haven't struggled with it, then you haven't really thought about it very much probably. The idea that, that God came into this world as a man and was still God, like that's, that's complicated, difficult kind of stuff. Um, and I think, I think we all would agree that, that, yeah, that's something that's difficult. For me to prove to you that God exists, for me to prove to you that Jesus is actually God, how do you do that? It's going to take a little bit of faith no matter how you look at it. Um, but what I do know is that the New Testament writers, they were clear on this and they were unified on this. Jesus is the Son of God. He is both human and he is God. And some people, they're going to try to make the argument to you, because uh, they, they just don't want to believe this about Jesus, but they're going to try to make the argument, well, Jesus never claimed to be God himself. But that's actually, if, you're, if, you, if you believe that Jesus never claimed to be God, then you haven't read the New Testament very well. Because it is clear there that the people that Jesus was talking to, they believed that he was claiming to be God. The whole reason he was killed was for blasphemy. That Jesus was saying he was God. It might not have been in the same exact words that we're saying there, but he was, in their culture, it was completely understood that's what Jesus was saying. Now the question is, why does this matter? The identity of Jesus matters because either we're going to make Jesus into our ultimate authority, that the, the, the person, the God that we have everything to, or Jesus is just another preacher throughout history. And frankly, if Jesus is just another preacher, he's a liar. Uh, also, unfortunately, we probably have all known too many preachers that we've thought were liars a little bit. Hopefully you don't think that about me, but that's, that's a thing, okay? Jesus is not just another preacher, but sadly what happens is there are many times where even us as Christians, we live like Jesus is just another preacher rather than the one that we owe everything to. And this letter to the Colossians that Paul wrote, we started this series last week on this letter, and, and what he is writing to, it really is speaking to what we're talking about here. Who is Jesus? What is his identity? You know, we talked last week about how uh, the, the people in this young church of Colossus, they were starting to believe things 
from other, the other religions around them that, that was not really what Jesus is. And so uh, Paul writes this letter to kind of diffuse some of that. And one of the things that they believed uh, or that they were falling into was a thing, we didn't, we didn't name this last week, but it was a thing called Gnosticism. What is Gnosticism? It is lessening who Jesus is. Instead of seeing Jesus as, as God, the one that we give everything to, he is less than that. He's just maybe a good teacher. Um, they were falling into that kind of thinking. And so uh, Paul writes this letter in part to help us understand what the real identity of Jesus is. And, and I think we stand in the same place that the church in Colossus did, where it is very easy for us to take Jesus and to see him for less than what he actually is. That we don't make him into this God that he is supposed to be in our lives. And so what we're doing is we're, gonna, we're actually skipping ahead a few verses today. Uh, next week, Jake is going to be here. He's going to be looking at Colossians 1, 9 through 14. We're skipping ahead to, to verses 15 through 23 today that we're going to look at. And this is where Paul really tries to reestablish the supremacy of Jesus. We need to understand the supremacy of Jesus. If we're going to, to follow Jesus the way that, that we're called to, understanding his true identity is it's absolutely important. And here's the thing. Understanding the true identity of Jesus is important if we're going to understand our own true identity. We will not know who we really are if we don't really know who Jesus is. And so we're looking here, again, verses 15 through 23. Uh, you can probably follow along with me on the screen. It says, The Son is the image of the inv invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith. Established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant." There's a lot of really good stuff there. We're going to try to hit what we can today, okay? Uh, there's just so much there. Um, but I want you to think about what is the one thing that Satan wants to do in your life? More than anything else, what does Satan want to, want to do? What's the enemy want to get you to think and believe? And I think it, it all goes back to when we look at that one of the very first stories in the Bible. Look at the beginning of Genesis, what hap happened with Adam and Eve. Satan wanted Adam and Eve to question the authority of God. More than anything else, that's what he was looking to do. And he actually did it with one really simple little tiny question. He got into their brains by saying this. Does God really say that you can't eat from that tree? It's a really simple question. And so what had happened was uh, God had placed Adam and Eve in this garden, the Garden of Eden. And in this whole garden, he picked out two trees. And he, he, he had them look at these two trees. He said, that tree over there, you're good. Eat all you want from it. It, it is really good, guys. 
eat from it. Then he looked at that tree right over there, and he's like, guys, you don't touch that thing. Stay away from it. It's not going to be good. And so Satan comes in and gets into their brain. Is that really what God told you, to, told you you can't do? Are you sure about that? But then he actually took it a step further. It wasn't just about questioning God and questioning what God had said. It was, I don't think God has your good in mind. Because what he said was, if you eat from that tree, God knows that you're going to know a lot of stuff and you're going to become wise and you're going to know everything that God knows. That's what he doesn't want. He doesn't want what's best for you. So that's what Satan is trying to get in our heads. The goal of the enemy is to make you think that you are supreme and that you alone know what's best for you. If he can do that, I'm telling you, he's golden and you're in trouble. And what Paul's trying to do is he's trying to kind of cut right, right at that place um, where we're starting to think that, that maybe we know everything. He doesn't want this church in class to go too far down that road where they know what's best for them, God doesn't. So he writes this letter. And, and Paul, what he does is he methodically breaks down what the supremacy of Jesus looks like and what it feels like for these people. Um, and so the first thing that he makes clear in this passage, I think, is this. He says, Jesus is supreme because of who he is. Jesus is absolutely supreme. That's who he is. And he says it in verse 15. The, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, we're going to talk about three questions this morning. And, and I want to just point this out. Uh, we, we have a teaching team that meets, and we talk through a sermon about a month in, in advance from when we're going to preach it. And there, it's me and about six others on this teaching team. And each, each time, somebody comes with the outline that, that they've put together for what the sermon could look like, and we discuss it. And Bree Eicher, who is our youth pastor, uh, doing a fantastic job as our youth pastor in Beloit, she was the one who came with the outline for this. And I, I just want to throw it out there because this girl is, she is killing it in Beloit right now, doing a fantastic job, and she's got a lot of wisdom. And she came with these three questions that I, that I think that this passage so, shows us we need to start thinking about. And the first question is this. When you picture God, what do you think of? When you picture God, what do you see? Because I think the truth is a lot of us, we don't see maybe what we're supposed to see. I'll tell you what Paul tells us that we should see. We should see Jesus. He says, the sun is the image of the invisible God. When you think of God, you should see the person of Jesus. Now, in the years 0 to 33 AD, it was possible to see this invisible image of God in Jesus. But for us now, we don't get to see a physical Jesus. Paul is not saying, if you see the physical Jesus, now you see God. What he's saying is, if you see the character of Jesus, you have now seen who God is. So we get, we get the chance to see the character of Jesus. It's written all over, all over the, the, the pages of the New Testament. But the problem is this. A lot of us, we have a really distorted view of, of what this picture of God is in our minds. Maybe our picture of Jesus isn't too far off, but I think what happens is, is we have a tough time seeing Jesus actually as God. We have, we've developed these convoluted things in our minds about who God is, and I think part of it is, is we have a tough time seeing Jesus as authority. Why is that? Because we look, at, we look at New Testament and we talk about it all the time, Jesus is grace. 
But when we think about authority, you think about authority that you've witnessed in your life, that maybe you're experiencing right now from a boss. And you think about authority, and you do not see grace as the thing that lines up with authority. And so to think about Jesus as our ultimate authority, it gets tough. So when I think about God as authority, I've got something different pictured in my mind. And if you have in mind a God who looks and sounds like the human authority in your lives, I want to just challenge you, maybe that needs to change this morning. Maybe your, your image of God needs to change a little bit. Uh, and I think, I think all of us, we probably, probably kind of know a little bit of what I'm referencing. Um, I, had, I had some issues with some principles uh, uh, in my schools when I was growing up. I wasn't a bad kid. I wasn't like, you know getting in trouble all the time. In fact, this story is actually going to show you that I wasn't getting in trouble all the time. My high school principal, what they would do is they would go into classes and they would observe a teacher teaching to make sure that they should be teaching. And so he comes into class. I didn't know this day, though, that he was going to be observing the teacher and me. And so what happened was this teacher, he was my Spanish teacher. He taught me more Chinese than he taught me Spanish, you guys. I had him for three years in Spanish, and I learned, like, Chinese words, and I didn't learn much. I still... I, I say really bad things to people in Spanish on accident. That's how bad I am at it. And so he's, he's up there doing his thing. He's teaching for maybe 20 minutes, and then he gives us an assignment. And his assignments were always so lame that I was done in like two minutes. And so we got 15, 20 minutes left in class, and I do what I do every other day. I just start talking to my friends next to me. You shouldn't do that when the principal is in the room, I found out. And so about two minutes left in class, the principal stands up, and he's like, Kellen Anderson, I'd like to see you in the hall. I'm like... I've never been talked to by a principal before. This is scary. We get out in the hall. He's like, I want, you, I want you to come down to the office with me. I've never been to the principal's office, you guys. This is my heart. My heart is still beating just talking about this. This is difficult, okay? So we get into the principal's office. And for 15 minutes, the guy is berating me, talking about how if I don't start to, to work hard in class and study, I'm not going to amount to anything. And I'm like, you're not going to amount to anything. Dude. No, I didn't say that. That would have been really awesome, uh, but I didn't say that. I sat there for 15 minutes and just took it. I absorbed his, his anger and whatever he was trying to, he was trying to teach me something. And let's just say I walked out of that, I walked out of that office. I didn't like this dude. I uh, didn't like him at all. Well, let's get to, this is the, the beginning of my freshman year. Let's get through the freshman year. We get to the beginning of my sophomore year. And he has now found out that I was a straight-A student my freshman year. And he goes to my mom, who is on the school board. And he's like, I don't think your son likes me very much. And she's like, well, you should probably talk to him about that, right? So early on, one of the first days of school my sophomore year, he pulls me. He stops me in the, in the hallway. He's like, Kellen, I want to see you in my office. What did I do? I was walking in the hallway, dude. Leave me alone. This is crazy. Pulls me in the office, and he's like, hey, Kellen, I feel like you don't like me very much. And I'm like, this is an open door like I have never had before. And I was like, no, I don't. And it felt great, you guys. Not going to lie. To tell your principal that you don't like him and he can't do anything but be like, I'm sorry. He actually, to his credit, he, he, he apologized. He's like, you know what, I, I probably, probably was a little harsh on you and, and misjudged you, and could, could we just have a start over? I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I appreciate that. Um, but in, in, for, there was like a year there where I did not like this authority figure in my school. And we've all faced that kind of stuff. There is, 
there is a highly likely chance that you have a distorted view of God because of some authority in your life. You may not think that you're seeing God as that authority figure, but it's funny how it just, these things, they just kind of creep in. You ever had a bad pastor that you, don't say me, okay? But if you had a bad pastor that you were, that you were in a church at for a while, I guarantee some of your ideas about God, it, why do so many people be like, I can't serve God? I can't serve Jesus because of everything the church does. Well, it's because they're equating this human authority with God. We do it, and we got to be careful about it, so we got to check what our image of God actually really is. Maybe you struggle with, with provision. You feel like God will not provide for you. Well, if you, had, if you feel like you had a parent when you were younger or, or some other authority in your figure who was supposed to provide for you, and you feel like they didn't, yeah, why, wouldn't you, why would you think that God was going to provide for you? It makes sense. The solution to flawed thinking about God as an authority figure is to see Jesus as the supreme authority in your life and not the caricature of the human authority who once let you down. Every single one of us have a, have a caricature drawn up about what authority looks like. Um, my, my wife, her, man, her grandpa was a really good artist. And he did a, a caricature drawing of 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 Crystal and one of both of her sisters, and they were on the, the stairway leading up upstairs in their house for years. Crystal hated it. Because this caricature, she's like, could my grandpa have picked a worse time in my life to draw a caricature picture of me with the biggest, thickest glasses ever and the shortest hair that I never liked to begin with? And now you've got this big caricature drawing of this huge head with this little body, and it's in my house for all this time. And that's the character... I think when it comes to authority, we have a caricature, this, this silly drawing of what authority actually is. And it, it bleeds into how we think about God. We can't help it. See, Jesus is all good. That's what he is. He is different than, than earthly authority. While he's both human, he's also God. And his authority always has been, and it always has been good. Uh, verse 16 and 17 here, Paul said, for in him all things are created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is a more powerful, a more good, righteous authority. This idea that, that Jesus is, is an authority from the beginning of creation, before it even started, it's like a paradox. How is that the case? If he, how was he born like us, but he's also was well before us and always was? Verse 15, it makes this stuff even more confusing. Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. See, I want you to understand, he's not saying there that he's firstborn as in the order of a birth. What he's talking about there is Jesus is like the firstborn like any son who is the firstborn ha claims an inheritance from the father, Jesus, like a firstborn, claims an inheritance over his creation. We are his inheritance. We are his. He created us. We are his. From the beginning of time. Jesus is a different authority. He says in verse 18, Paul says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Jesus is the supreme leader of the church. He started it. Now, I said it earlier, and we talk about it a lot, because I think it's really important to talk about this, because people coming into a church who, 
who have reservations about church because they don't like church for reasons that are valid, I think it's important for us to say, yes, the church is not everything it's supposed to be all the time. Jesus is the supreme leader of the church. How can I follow it if the church does all these things that it does? Well, Jesus, Jesus hasn't, hasn't said, yeah, church, go and, go and do the things that you've done. Jesus isn't like that. How is it that Jesus leads the church? He doesn't lead it like a dictator would lead. We're able to make mistakes because Jesus leads as a humble servant. He, lead, he leads by going first and being the first to die. That's how Jesus leads. And so the church might mess it up, but it's not because we're following his lead in that moment. All right, so talking about who Jesus is. Jesus is supreme because of who he is. Now we're starting to get into the idea of, of what he is. The second thing here I want to talk about is Jesus is supreme in what he does. Verses 19 and 20, Paul says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So here's the second question I want us to think about. The first question we talked about was, when you think of God, what, what do you see? What's the image? What do you think about? Second question is this. When you picture Jesus, what do you think of? When you picture Jesus, what is the picture that comes to mind? What do you see? And I'll tell you, uh, I'll tell you what I don't see. I don't see a judgy, uh, shame-throwing, tyrant kind of a leader. When I see Jesus, what I see is a friend to sinners. I, free, I see a friend to children and to widows and to liars. Frankly, I see somebody who's a friend to people that I probably would consider gross and disgusting. That's what Jesus is. I see him bloodied. I see him struggling to take a breath while he was nailed to a cross. Now I want you to imagine something else for a minute. I want you to imagine that you were Jesus. That's a scary thought, because we probably wouldn't all be saved from our sins. Uh, but it, let's just imagine for a minute, you were Jesus. Perfect. Imagine that you made heaven and earth. Imagine if you were the operating system for the whole universe. Imagine if everything held together because of you. And now imagine that your creation, your creatures, the people that you made out of sheer love, imagine that they hated you, that they were going to war at you, that they that they committed horrendous evil things against you and against the people that you love. Now the question is, what would you do? What would you do to those people? I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd be wiping you all out. <laughs> I'd be wiping me out too. That's what we would do. But Jesus is a different authority altogether. And it, and it shows in what Paul is saying here that he makes peace for us through his blood shed on the cross. Think about that. Every other, every other real um, king in the world, uh, these authorities that, that rule countries, how do they make peace? They shed somebody else's blood. And Jesus makes peace by shedding his own blood. There is no greater, greater act than giving up your life for something. And Jesus actually did that for the whole world. He did it while taking on the worst consequence that is imaginable. Now I want you to realize that there are awful ways to die. There are really awful ways to die. I can think of a lot of awful ways to die. The way that Jesus died has to be one of the worst ways that you can physically die. 
But I say this when we take communion quite often. I don't think it was his death that was the worst part of it. I don't think it was the physical part that was the worst. Let me put it into context. For me, I can think of two things that would be the worst way to die possibly. I don't want to be buried alive. That sounds really awful, right? I also don't want to drown. I have been finding out lately that I am terrified of water. Now, I can swim, but me swimming looks like this. It's not pretty. I can't put my head in the water and breathe out and then stick it out and, and breathe in without water somehow coming in and now I'm just breathing in water and I'm dying. That's what it feels like to me. And so I'm terrified of drowning. I watched a movie the other night called The Vault on, on Netflix. And I don't know why I watched it because it's about a bunch of guys who go into to steal something out of a vault in a bank. And this is an old school vault that the moment that weight is on this floor, the vault fills up with water and drowns the person who's trying to steal stuff. That's messed up. That's crazy. I'd be like, the moment that people are like, we're going to steal from there, I'd be like, no, no, we're not. I am forever going to be a good person the rest of my life. So they get in there and they think they've got to figure it out how they're not going to drown. Sure enough, the vault starts to fill with water. And the freakiest thing ever, they're they're swimming to the top as, and it's getting closer and closer to the ceiling. They've got like this much air left between them and the water, the ceiling and the water. Done. That's like the biggest fear of my life. That is what it is. Now I want to put in context to you the death of Jesus on the cross. The death of Jesus on the cross is not just him having nails pierced into his, his wrists and his feet. That's, that's an awful way to die and suffocating as he can't lift himself up. The death of Jesus looks more like me drowning in a pool and the person that I love more than anybody in the world, my wife Crystal, looking at me while I'm in that pool and thinking that I have been unfaithful to her. And while I'm drowning in that pool, she turns and walks away. That's actually more accurate to what the death of Jesus looks like. It's him up on a cross dying the most horrific death you could imagine, but then all of our sins being placed on him. And God the Father looking at him, and Jesus says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because he took on our sin, and the Father turned his face from him, walked away. Now, some of you would be like, uh, there's a lot of people that go, that sounds like an awful God, that he would forsake Jesus, the one who is his beloved, his only son, and he would walk away from him and, and leave him like that. But I say, it's even more amazing, it shows the love of Jesus that God so bad wants to forsake sin that he himself would come into this world and would go to the cross and take that forsaking on himself. That is a crazy kind of love that I can't even, I can't even put into words. It's amazing. That is what Jesus is. This is who Jesus is and that is what he did for us. So the question is, what does it mean? This authority that Jesus has, this different kind of authority, what does, it, what does it mean for you and me? And I think it ultimately means this, the third thing I want to talk through. We get to see ourselves restored to God's best version of ourselves. Because of who Jesus is, because of what he did, we get to see ourselves restored to God's best version of ourselves. This is a, my favorite verse in this passage, verse 22. Paul says, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his, holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Here's the last question I want to talk about. We've talked about two questions. 
when you think about God, what, what comes to your mind? What do you think of? When you think of Jesus, what do you see? Now I want to ask you this question. When God thinks of you, when God pictures you, what does he think of? When God pictures you, what does he see? And the answer to this question for a lot of us, here's the thing. We, if you've been to church much, you know what the answer is supposed to be. You know that the answer is he, just like verse 22 says, I'm unblemished in God's eyes. I'm clean, I'm pure. I don't think that we really think that most of the time. I don't think that we really believe that deep inside of our heart. You know, we have, we have these authority issues. And, and you might be there sitting in, in the chair saying, my mom and dad see me as unfulfilled potential. My boss sees me as dead weight. My spouse sees me as insufficient. My friends see me as extra grace required. And so you can't tell me that those things don't start to, to bleed into what we think about what God thinks of us. Just like when we have wrong images of what the authority in our lives are, and it, when we start to think about God that way, when I have these wrong images of what somebody else thinks of me, or they might be true, <laughs> but I, I think those things, and now it's going to bleed into what I believe God thinks about me, the way that he sees me and pictures me. But I'm telling you, God sees us because of Jesus differently than we see ourselves or the other people see us. God does see you as unblemished. God does declare that you are free even from accusation. I love that part of the passage. It says that we're free from accusation. We're not just free from guilt. We're free from merely being accused of stuff. And yet we still all walk around feeling guilty. And Paul's trying to say, we're not even accused, you guys. I no longer am my authority. Me in charge of me makes for some really bad outcomes. But God in charge of me, Jesus as my sole authority, it makes for the best version of me that there ever will be. Jesus as my sole authority makes, makes me pure. It makes me right. It makes me righteous. It makes me holy. It makes me free from accusation. But if you're like me, you've probably struggled to see God in the right light. And I guarantee you've probably struggled to see yourself in the right light of how God sees you. When we are seeing God in this hard, human-like state, like all the authority that we've, that, that's just messed us up, it's hard for us to see Jesus in an accurate light. And then when it's hard to see Jesus in an accurate light, it's hard to understand our true identity. Jesus is our connection to God. Your acceptance is based on Jesus. Your acceptance is not based on you. And so when I'm struggling to see God right, and when I'm struggling to see the person of Jesus right, I'm just going to struggle to see myself as right more than anything. Let's let God begin to change the way we, we view ourselves in light of God's mercy. Let's let God change the way we see him. What we're going to do is we're going to take communion. I just think this leads into communion perfectly. So if you haven't grabbed a communion cup, feel free to go to the tables at the side of the back. Even while I'm talking, you can go grab that. I want you to hear this. As we take communion today, let's ask God to rewire our wrongful image of who he is and who we are in his sight. Every single one of us, we are human beings. And so we have, a, we have a wrongful image of Jesus. We have a wrongful image of what Jesus sees in us. I guarantee it. It's there. It's somewhere in us. 
Let's ask God as we take communion, as we remember what he did on the cross for us, let's ask him to rewire ourselves the way that we think so that we begin to see ourselves the way that Jesus saw us on the cross. He went to the cross so he could take on our sin and it could be the weight on his shoulder, not on our shoulder, so that he could be the one to take on the Father forsaking him and looking away so that we wouldn't have to endure that. You are God's best version of you, not because of you, but because you have the perfection of Jesus placed on you. You get to live in the freedom of that perfection being your true identity. Your true identity is the perfection of Christ. It's hard for me to even say that sometimes because I think about how imperfect I am. But at some point, we've got to understand that's, that's how God sees us because of the blood of Jesus. Let's ask God to rewire the way that we think about God. Let's ask God to rewire the way that we understand God thinking about us. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.